Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Happy Friday to all of you. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Let me say this off the very top. Otherwise, I'm afraid I'll forget to say it because I've been meaning to say this for a couple of days and haven't. Uh, This is obviously heading into Memorial Day weekend, and on Monday, we will be away. So no show from us on Monday. Hopefully for you, it's a day off as well to... You know, enjoy just a uh, great kickoff start to the summer. We had a great time last night, kind of around the pool, last day of school for my kids. And so everybody was kind of, you know, sort of in that summer vibe last night and hope you're kind of in the same way here. So no show for us on Monday, but of course, we'll be back again on Tuesday with the show as you've kind of come to expect it and a lot to do before we get there. We're going to hit on a, a bunch of different stuff on today's show, kind of, you know, a lot of different things going on. We kind of want to make sure we kind of touch on all of that. And I want to make sure we do obviously some football stuff here off the uh, very top. I saw a very interesting stat uh, last day or so, and I want to make sure I, I shared this. And sometimes when it comes to some of these stats and like the really complicated analytics, I'm always really slow to want to present some of this on the air because I think I, I should probably be hesitant about talking too much about something I don't completely understand. And this is certainly an example of that. But the reason why I'm okay sharing this stat, even though I kind of don't really fully understand it because with my own eyes what I feel like I have seen would seem to be kind of backed up by this stat a little bit so I feel okay about that there's been some chatter you know back and forth online about you know third down wide receivers which receivers in the SEC perform best on third down and there's a guy uh, I think it's called tailgate tent I I follow him on Twitter pretty good follow you know pretty uh, you know in-depth football information and he shared something in terms of his own metrics that he tabulates we'll take his word that this is all accurate but I thought it was very interesting to see how high a Georgia wide receiver ranked on this list from tailgate 10 let's show this on the screen here so here's what he says here are the top 20 wide receivers in third down WPC plus (laughs) which I have no idea but he says that's value added versus a league average player at your position in other words how does this receiver compare to the like sort of league average receiver in that same situation when it comes to making plays on uh, third down here? And so you can see Kadarius Tony at number one. Not a huge surprise. Uh, Tony was obviously a dynamic playmaker of Florida a year ago. Even Gator haters like us can admit that was a first round pick. Obviously, you see a dude from Wake Forest who comes in number two on that list. Then you got Seth Williams from Auburn, number three. Once again, a very good receiver. But isn't it interesting to see Kiaris Jackson from Georgia coming in? at fourth on this list of some sort of metric for your value on third down. And when you see the names that Jackson is ahead of, it's even more interesting. Ahead of Devontae Smith, who's sixth. Ahead of even George Pickens, who's ninth. The very good receiver, Elijah Moore at Ole Miss, for instance, is 10th. Uh, a lot of you know a lot of receiver, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State's on here at this list below the level of what Kyrus Jackson is. So a lot of really good receivers. And yet in Jackson's case, according to this one third down metric, he actually rates higher for how he performed on third down. Then, uh, then some of the other top receivers in college football. And as I said before, even if I couldn't tell you in 100 words or less what WC, uh, WPC plus means when it comes to third down efficiency, we did see some version of this with our own eyes, right? I mean, remember how early in the season, how valuable Kyrus Jackson was for Georgia back-to-back games with 100 yards or more? 
against SEC opponents that mattered, Auburn and Tennessee. Jackson came up big right there. And I think it's easy for me to imagine, in kind of like the unsung hero role, Jackson could do something similar for Georgia here this year. And I'll tell you one of the things, even with the uncertainty related to Will George Pickens even play for George in 2021? And if, if because you're uncertain about that, if you want to put Pickens kind of on a shelf for a moment and just sort of pretend he's not here and just sort of look at the other guys, man, you start to see what you want to see from a receiving core. You want guys to have that distinctive characteristic that sets them apart from the other guys there. You can't have, you know, four or five guys who are all the same. You got to have the blazing speedster. That's what you hope Arian Smith can be for you. You've got to have the physical guy that's willing to go over the middle. That's what Kyrus Jackson's kind of proven to be. It's one of the reasons, maybe, as this, you know, stat dude says, that he's been so good on third down. That toughness, that physicality, that kind of Peach County vibe that Kyrus Jackson gives off when he plays. You know, maybe that's why he has been so effective on third down. And you think about someone like Marcus Rosemey Jackson on his way back, you know, to full health here. He kind of has his own distinctive playing personality there as well. You know, Dominic Blaylock, assuming that he's on his way back to health, you kind of see him kind of fitting that same, you know, sort of mold here that that everybody's kind of got their own personality here. And obviously what we've seen in college football as of late, you know, Devontae Smith last year for Alabama is the outlier. You know, Devontae Smith was kind of a one-man gang for Alabama, the receiver position, with apologies to John Mechie. It, it was Devontae it was kind of a one-man gang for Alabama after Jalen Waddle went down with injury. But for the most part, the the dominant offense in college football and the you know kind of previous years leading up to what Bama did a year ago, it's about a collection of wide receivers. In some cases, you have multiple guys having gigantic seasons. In other cases, you have a handful of guys who just have really, really good seasons. But the way to have a receiving core kind of play well and perform to the to the best it possibly can is to have guys who can do some different things for you. And I think that Kyrus Jackson does bring his own distinct playing personality into all of this. He's tough. He's physical. Uh, he catches the ball. He's a he's a reliable target. And as the stat guy says here that I showed you a moment ago, tailgate tent on Twitter, he's a guy that came up pretty big for Georgia on third down a year ago. I could expect to see him do the same thing again this year. So as you're thinking about those guys for Georgia, those weapons worth trusting and pay attention to, uh, keep your eye on Kiaris Jackson when we head towards the upcoming season. With that said, let me kind of do something completely different for a moment because as you're well aware, we had news break on the show yesterday while we were hosting the show. The University of Georgia Athletic Association Board of Directors meetings took place, and it's still ongoing, but took place there at uh, the Reynolds Plantation, very nice uh, Ritz-Carlton Lodge, just you know on the banks of the uh, Lake Oconee there. And you know, you knew UGA Athletic Director Josh Brooks kind of putting his stamp on this Georgia program right now with some things that I think are really good and I think worth talking about here for a moment. First of all, it's nice to see Georgia kind of officially make the announcement that we assumed it would be making, joining with much of the rest of the SEC that's already done this, and obviously the Carolina Panthers who were the stadium playing host of the Georgia Clemson game, full attendance is back. And not only am I excited about that, because pretty clearly we saw a year ago the fan matter the, the the fan presence matters the games were you know uh obviously less enjoyable for those who were there because of the absence of so many of the fans but, but I think you can make a case that the games were just weirder on TV without that natural genuine crowd noise so there's a huge level of enthusiasm for the return of fans it's kind of nice to see that happening here this year and great to see Georgia kind of making that official announcement on this yesterday we also talked a little bit about the fact that the press box is changing this is kind of self-serving for media guys like me because the press box has been a beautiful seat uh, a great vantage point to watch the games from probably the best press box in terms of at least watching the game anywhere in the SEC but obviously that real estate very valuable for those kind of premium seating options that's what's going to happen here that 
lightnings. The Georgia press box will now move to a corner of the stadium. The only way that's going to impact the average fan is once you move that press box around, rebuild it somewhere else, the stadium will start to look a little bit different. But other than that, the average fan won't be impacted by that too much. As I did say, though, on yesterday's show, that one of the things that does benefit Georgia by creating more premium seating, it actually moves some fans, ticket buyers, donors, out of other premium seating, which gives a little bit more incentive for money to be raised from those who want to donate and kind of move their way up the hierarchy for home games. A lot of donors will tell you that it's been easier to kind of get better seats for the Georgia-Florida game or get more access to road games than it has been to kind of move up the pecking order there with inside Sanford Stadium. A lot of those, the best tickets in that stadium have been held on to for generations and generations by the same people. It's been kind of hard to do that. So obviously, even though I'm a, you know, coastal elite media guy that's sort of sad to see the the press box go away, you kind of understand why Georgia wants more of those premium seating options there. But then there was this, and I think this is a really cool thing that Georgia has also announced that it's essentially putting a cap on concession stand prices. So what's going to lead to is concessions, generally speaking, going to be much, much cheaper. I'm talking about like the basic concessions, right? Like the sodas and the hot dogs and the popcorns, I guess, the things like that. And, and could be, as I guess, as lot, I've heard as low as like what half, you know, what it, what it currently is. And I just think this is a really nice gesture. It won't mean a, a ton necessarily, but I just think it's a really nice gesture. I think it really kind of speaks to what, you know, Georgia ought to be considering right now. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're trying to raise money for your program, and this is one of those things that's kind of unpleasant thing about it, but it's just true. It's way easier to get a rich dude to give $100,000 than it is to get, uh, you know, 10 normal people to give $10,000. Like, if you're trying to raise $100,000, finding a rich person to give you the whole thing is just an easier thing to do from a from a donating standpoint than it is to get a whole bunch of people to give a little bit of money. That's, you know, it's always going to be more efficient to sort of seek out rich, wealthy donors when you're trying to raise a bunch of money. But obviously, there has been a little bit, I think, based on some of the fans that I've kind of heard from, a little bit of a thought of, wow, it seems like Georgia kind of obviously prioritizes these big donors, these people who are able to give a lot of money, and maybe all of a sudden I sort of feel left out. What's being done right now for the average fan? We want to kind of run through and list all the things that have changed around Georgia football or changed around Sanford Stadium in the last few years. You certainly get the sense that there's a list of things that have just sort of made the average fan kind of feel like, well, am I still do I still matter here? Am I still a priority for Georgia Georgia football? And we sort of had the assumption that when Josh Brooks was going to take over as UG Athletic Director, that one of the things that that he might you know be good at is kind of bringing that sort of pro-fan perspective here and doing things that takes care of the larger number of Georgia football fans, even if it doesn't quite raise the, uh, you know, the coffers of the, of, of the donor pool all that much. This is an example of that. I really applaud Georgia here for taking that step to – Hey, we're going to do something for the average fan, for that person who just cherishes those home games, you know, maybe has to reach deep in that wallet to spend, uh, be here, and it's a little bit of a financial stretch to be able to do that. We're going to do something to show our appreciation for the fans who are able to do that. It's actually going to cost us a little bit of money. It's really not going to make us any money to do this way, but we're just going to do it because it's seemingly the right thing to do. I think this is a really cool thing for Georgia. As it seeks out the big donors and the big bucks, and even the average fan wants Georgia to be able to do that because they want the 
things that come to the program when you do go out and raise money like that. But as Georgia seeks its, you know, increased donor pool and, you know, more resources, financial resources in the program, making those gestures to show appreciation to the average fan who's been so steadfast in his or her support for this program, I think that's a really cool thing to see too. So lower concessions at Sanford Stadium, I think it's kind of a nice thing. Glad to see Josh Brooks, new athletic director, putting his stamp on the Georgia program. And frankly, I can't wait to see what he does next. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger. And glad to have you here, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous DogNation.com. Just really glad to have you as a part of the program today. And big thanks to Kroger for making it all possible. And I love the way that Kroger has worked so hard over the course of the last you know year plus as we've kind of gone through a global pandemic and obviously Kroger right there at the forefront of helping us keep food on our table during all of that, but also through that entire time, really working hard to take care of its employees and continue to make Kroger what it's kind of always been, which is a great place to work. And now Kroger wants to give the experience to even more people to find out why Kroger has been such a great place to work, happy employees for such a long time. If you are looking for a job, Kroger might be the uh, place for you. Kroger's hiring for several positions right now. It's more than a paycheck. You get a big-time rewards package. I'm talking about tuition reimbursement, potentially, uh, associate discounts, partner perks, so much more. So make sure you check this out. Uh, Kroger. Go to jobs.kroger.com. Let me make sure I get the website correctly here. It's jobs.kroger.com. Uh, you can stop by that website or just go by your local Kroger store and uh, find out what's going on right there in the store. So either the website, jobs.kroger.com, or stop by your local Kroger store, and they'll take really good care of you here today. Let's go around the doghouse now. We're going to get Jeff Sintel in just a minute. We'll do a lot of recruiting. The next you know, several minutes of this show are going to be related to recruiting. A lot of this with Jeff Sintel, as per usual, on a Friday. But before that, around the doghouse, and I do want to go back in time just a little bit. This is an audio clip we've played for you before here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger, and it actually originates from Jeff Sintel's weekly recruiting show, Before the Hedges, which is also presented by Kroger. Denali Morissette, four-star wide receiver, UGA commit. When, when he made his pledge to UGA, one of the things that kind of got some attention was the fact that Jeremiah Alexander, big-time edge rusher out of the state of Alabama, had been active on social media saying, hey, wherever Morissette goes, I'm going to go there as well. And obviously, you know, we like the idea of five stars saying they might be coming to Georgia. Social media messages like that are always going to get our attention on this show. And so I was glad that Jeff asked Morissette about Jeremiah Alexander and how real Morissette thought it could be with Alexander potentially being in the fold for UGA. Keep in mind, Morissette lives here in the state of Georgia. He's going to go to North Cobb High School this year. Um, uh, Alexander's from the state of Alabama. So these are not, you know, hometown guys necessarily, but they have got, they are guys who've kind of gotten to know each other. And Morissette has told us before that he believes that, yeah, the big time five star prospect, yeah, being at Georgia, very much a possibility. Here is a reminder from Denial and Morissette. Oh, yes, sir. Where does that come from? I mean, how do you, how are you linked up with that kid in Alabama? Man, it's just, we got connections everywhere. We've been top players know each other. That's all I can say. Just top players around the country know each other. And uh, we're going to pull him in, though, for sure. Do you th- oh, do you think Georgia has a chance with him, and why? Oh, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Me and him, we we be on the phone, so I definitely do. I can't say why. I won't tell his business, but I definitely do. Uh, what kind of addition would he be to the class if he did choose Georgia? Oh, um, if he if he do choose Georgia, we'll stay number one class. So I hope he does. 
So good stuff there from Don Morissette. I've told you all before, I like the idea of Morissette's claim, hey, listen, top players kind of know each other, and you probably do get the sense of that. That the you know just the modern connections of whether it be DMs on social media or the you know the text chain threads and things like that, these guys do have a chance to meet each other through the you know the magic of those smartphones in a way that you know recruits of previous generations would not be able to do. And Morissette, in no uncertain terms, there says, yes, I absolutely believe it's a realistic possibility that Jeremiah Alexander could be at the University of Georgia. Well, lo and behold, here this week at DogNation.com, we have seen an update from Jeff Sintel regarding Jeremiah Alexander. Alexander, in his own words, talking about his feelings with Georgia. Let me show you this quote on the screen. I'll uh, read this to you. Uh, as Alexander's asked how he feels about UGA right now, and he says, I like Georgia a lot. They were one of the schools that never really got off my back when I committed to Alabama, meaning he, at one point in time, Alexander was an Alabama commit, and he says Georgia remained kind of steadfast in recruiting me there at the time. He says, so I will always have love for Georgia. And one of the things in the same interview with Jeff Sintel that Alexander mentioned is also something that you heard Denylan Morissette mention in his audio clip a moment ago, the fact that, you know, both these guys, Morissette, a current pledge to Georgia, Alexander, a current recruiting target, they've noticed that Georgia is the number one class in the country. There's some clear momentum around the uh, class of 2022 right now. And Alexander says, yeah, you better believe I'm paying attention to that. I have noticed that. And so all of a sudden, as we head towards June and what is a gigantic month for UGA recruiting with seemingly, you know, more and more five stars by the day kind of in the mix for uh, Georgia here, I guess, based on Alexander there. And you can read the full story at dognation.com. I'm going to talk to Jeff Sintel about this coming up in a moment. I guess you have to sort of add Alexander into the mix here of some of those big names that George is definitely on its way uh, to pursuing. Before I bring on Jeff and as we wrap up around the doghouse here, let me also tell you about my friends at the Finnish Long Drink. You know, told you, at least I told, I think I told our video audience this uh, before the show started. Pool party last night, you know, last you know day of school for the kids. And, you know, for me right now, that means the Finnish Long Drink. And I've loved introducing this to the people in my neighborhood because it comes ready to drink right out of the can. And so, you know, this time of year when you're relaxing with, you know, back deck, patio, pool, whatever else, something that's, you know, easy to drink, ready to drink, something that doesn't require a lot of mixing and, you know, you don't have to be a mixologist to, to create, you know, concoction with. Uh, obviously, that's perfect for this time of year. And that's what the Finnish long drink is. It kind of comes to us from Finland. It's been huge over there for decades. It's been in the United States now for a couple of years, and now it's in the state of Georgia. There's a lot of different, you know, options here there's like four different varieties you've got the traditional organic that comes in the blue can it's kind of like a grapefruit gin combination you've got the uh, long drink zero which as it sounds like no sugar no carbs and all of that uh, you get the long drink strong which is eight and a half eight and a half percent alcohol by volume that's a really good thing and obviously uh, the cranberry flavor there as well which uh, you know the, the students over at uga love this has been a big deal in the athens bars there now for a while there's a ton of buzz about this you need to find it out for yourself and the best way to do that is to go to this website thelongdrink.com and you can find out where it's for sale near you whether it be a bar or a beverage store or whatever else thelongdrink.com you can find that out there and kind of figure out where you can kind of pick some of that up it's, it's great it's a great thing here uh this summer the finished long drink ready to drink right out of the can a lot of different choices a lot of different varieties hope you enjoy all of that okay before we're done today busy stuff around the sec that we want to get to including 
I guess a scenario for Alabama and its schedule that I hadn't fully considered yet, but could come into play in determining, you know, kind of what the SEC championship looks like, what's the playoff race looks like. We'll do a lot of that before we're done on today's show. But for now, on everything related to UGA recruiting, bunch of stuff going on, heading for a busy month. Let's do that with Jeff Sintel right now as we go on the road with him, assisted by AAA. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let's say hello to uh, Jeff Sintel here on the road, assisted by AAA. Really good story this week at uh, DogNation.com. Stopping by to visit uh, Jeremiah Alexander's hometown. I believe it's Alabaster, Alabama, if I have that correct, for uh, Jeremiah Alexander. And obviously a guy that, as we played the audio before, friends with UGA wide receiver commit to Nyla Morissette and Jeff, I find all of this to be really interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm always kind of skeptical of, you know, uh, package deals, things like that. But as as Morissette has said, you know, top players know each other. And it seems like right now that one of the biggest names in the class of 2022 is certainly one of the top prospects in the state of Alabama, Alexander, based on the story that you wrote at DogNation.com, one of the quotes that we shared a moment ago. It certainly seems like George is in play here for Alexander right now. Yeah, Brandon. Uh, good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Let me let me tell you something about Jeremiah, and I hope it came across in the story this week. Is I mean, folks, I go visit a lot of players, and and even these all Americans, they don't really, they don't believe it or not, they don't treat every practice rep like they're trying to get their first offer. That I mean, when you see a guy that is as talented as Jeremiah Alexander is, and then you see him just really just try to chisel out everybody around him on the team and make them a lot better. I mean, that, that, that's, the young man has a very bright future. Of course, he's a five-star. Uh, people are going to go roll their eyes and go say, well, Jeff, of course this guy's going to be a good player. He's a five-star. He has all the tools. What I'm telling you about Jeremiah Alexander is he has a lot more to his, in his bag than that. There are a lot of special elements to his game. He's that right kind of mean on the field where he's just trying to work and make everybody better. He's relentless. I can't tell you how many times his offensive coach has gotten in trouble because their linemen were letting it hit the quarterback even in a even in a kind of a tempo practice one on one period. Uh he plays on a team, Brandon, that was uh when you when you take out IMG Academy, because I, I do consider that a boarding school, and you, you look at just pure high schools that, that don't select their own players, Thompson High, after its second straight t- state title, finishes the number two team in the country. And it certainly seems that there's a lot of interest there in Georgia and Clemson and Alabama. And I think that's all anybody can ask for at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I guess take me back here a little bit, you know, when he, I guess, makes his decommitment from Alabama. I know you wrote about that a little bit at DogNation.com. What was kind of his mindset about kind of wanting to open things back up and make sure he made more room for more considerations? He just felt, it just felt, Brandon, he, he felt too much pressure. He knew that his sole focus should be on his team and his teammates and winning his second consecutive state title. And he got tired of having to, you know, I guess when everybody identified him on the local highlights or even in media reports, oh, that's Alabama, future Alabama standout, future Crimson Tide defensive end, future Crimson Tide linebacker. He thought it took too much focus off of his current team. And he's a guy that likes to just be where he's at right now, be very ever-present. And um, he thought it relaxed him, thought it relaxed his mood because he, he, he didn't want to always be thinking about his future in Alabama when he had some really important work to do in the present. And you can't, you, you can't really denigrate a kid that feels that way, especially if it let, 
helps him perform at his peak ability. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah is a guy, most people would say, oh, my gosh, nobody's going to really ever pull a kid like that out of Alabama, especially a former Alabama uh, commitment. But with Jeremiah, there's a lot of little things. Like, you know, he's going to visit Clemson and Georgia right out of the box uh, on June 1st. Georgia's getting his second visit on June 3rd. And he told me really basically the school that's won his pandemic recruiting was Clemson. Uh, they offered him really late because they didn't think that they were going to pull a kid like Jeremiah Alexander out of Alabama. And yet now there's a, there's a good shot. I mean, he's been in contact with the core group of Georgia commits, Brandon, for quite some time. Marquise Groves, Killebrew, Big Bear Alexander, uh, guys like that. And then there's also this newest development. Well, I guess we can't call it, call it new because they've known each other for a long time already, a couple of seasons already. But there's definitely some chemistry there brewing with Denial and Morissette as well. Yeah, that's a fun thing to think about. Something else that's been interesting, a really good interview from this past Wednesday on Before the Hedge was presented by Craig with Branson Robinson. And I guess I learned a lot from watching this interview. And one of the things that I wasn't quite aware of is, you know, I I think of a couple of UJ commits, guys like Jalen Walker and Malachi Starks being these like really mature guys. And, you know, right now Robinson's a recruiting target. He's not a UJ commit. But if you kind of you know, hypothesize for a moment that he could be in their recruiting class. I'm not quite so sure that Robinson's maturity level doesn't at least match what they bring to the table, if not exceed that. I mean, he kind of comes across as a guy that if you told me he was a coach recruiting other players, I believe I might believe that. Just really, you know, seemingly uh, very well, very well grounded, but also just kind of a guy that just kind of comes across as a guy who's been in college for a couple of years, more so than someone who's just getting ready to go into a senior year. I really liked a, a lot of what I heard from Branson Robinson today. We talked about Robinson a little bit last Friday when you were on the show because uh, you had obviously written about him and I knew you had visited with him. But to get a chance to see the interview last night, I, I guess I didn't quite realized the the level of kind of off-field and tangible qualities that he was bringing to the table. Hard not to watch that interview and come away an even bigger fan of a guy who's already got the on-field credentials to be running back at a place like Georgia. But he really appears to be bringing a lot more to the table than that. Yeah, Brandon, I, I, I can get down with that. I can dig that. I mean, really, he's a grown man physically. Everybody knows that. But, you know, what we try to do with our reporting is to try to see what he's like beyond that. And, Brandon, man, there's a whole big ball of wax here. I mean, he's a guy that his older brother, there's a lot of things people don't know about Branson, and we're going to write soon on dognation.com, but his older brother is a really accomplished track sprinter. So for those that really wonder, he's he's at Alcorn State, just about to graduate from Alcorn State. And for those that, you know, one of the people wonder is, you know, is Branson Robinson too thick? Is he, is he too much like a rhino and not enough like a cheetah? Well, you, you look at him, and, and his older brother, Brandon, he's running 10 twos. He's extremely fast times as a 100-meter, 60-meter, 200-meter type guy. And uh, he's a guy that's got track background in his family, even though he's built like the, preserva- the proverbial uh, poster for your favorite weight, weight gain or muscle and fitness magazine cover. But... I mean, Branson's got a, a lot in his bag, as the kids would say. I mean, he physically looks the part, but you see the way, way he acts, his mannerisms, the way he carries himself. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff off the field that we're going to get to share on dognation.com about, about Branson Robinson, his family makeup. Uh, both of his parents own their own businesses. They're self-employed. Uh, this is a really dialed-in young man. 
The other thing is, and you know, obviously we've seen the way that like Derrick Henry's dominated the NFL the last couple of years. He's kind of the gold standard for what that featured running back kind of looks like in football right now. And when you see how big Robinson is, and you know, he's you know clearly prolific in the weight room, and obviously he's using that to great effect in the football field there as well. I mean, it is a little bit easy to kind of say, wow, you know, that's one of those guys that could have some of those you know dominant you know plowing folks over Derrick Henry style runs at a at a place like Georgia. I know I know Georgia kind of missed out on Henry the first time around when he chose Alabama, but when you see a guy like Robinson, how big and strong that he is, and he said before he's also got some you know, kind of speed credentials go along with that. Boy, it, it's easy to let your mind wander about, you know, just how good a, a guy like that could be. Yeah, and, and Brennan, the names that get thrown around, it's pretty funny. Uh, we He embraces the Nick Chubb comparison. Uh, a lot of the genesis of his athletic ability, Brandon, actually goes back to being inspired by Herschel Walker. So there's a lot of Georgia connections there that we've written before, but this is how good this guy is. When, when the Georgia folks see a Nick Chubb, and then maybe a little bit of shades of the early development of Herschel Walker. Those are very good things. They may be lofty, out-of-this-world, bonkers comparisons. But then when he hears from Alabama, Brandon, Alabama uses Mark Ingram as the model, as the template for you know who that, what type of back they think he can be. When, you, when you're face-to-face with him, Brandon, I think he's probably about 5'10". I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call him 5'11". Uh, and he's every bit of 220. It looks like his lower torso uh, – belongs on an action figure. I think we use that use that term for Trey Hill a lot when when you, you just kind of see just how, gar, how gargantuan his his lower trunk looks like but when you see all these name game comparisons from a lot of these major programs and they're going to some of the best running backs in their history and Heisman trophy winners and it doesn't feel like you're you're getting in front of your skis at all either when you're making these comparisons. No. I mean this guy really is great A yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. One more thing about Robinson, we'll change the subject here. You know, I also really like the things he had to say about Dell McGee there as well. You know, McGee's been around for a while, and I think Georgia fans have gotten used to his recruiting success. But when you hear a guy, we played some of this audio yesterday on, on our show from your video interview that I hope people will see and watch the entire thing from. When you hear the ways in which Robinson feels that connection to McGee that goes beyond just football, I, I do think you're reminded once again of just how valuable an asset that George running backs coach Dell McGee remains for this program. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the quickest way to say that, Brandon, is he's got a luxury, premium, elite, top-tier product to sell, which would be RB1, RB2, RB3 at the University of Georgia. Uh, and yet he's so very good at what he does. And even in a field of guys and men that are supposed to be able to bond and, and mesh with these guys very quickly, um, I know it, it sometimes everybody everybody looks at Trey Scott and everybody looks at you know certain position recruiters, and it's kind of that what you've done for me lately. But consistently, Del McGee has been the gold standard for Georgia, not only just recruiting guys, bringing them guys in, bringing the right guys in, but developing them, knowing what to look for. I mean, Brandon, there's about six guys in this 2022 class that would love to be heavily courted by Georgia right now, but the thing is, Dell's only working about two or three names in this class because it is a very, very, um, a very, very choicey, very premium, very, man, he, Dell's got his guys, and he's not going to deviate from his guys. 
All right, I want to ask you about some other big news here this week, how it could impact the Georgia roster. A moment before that, though, let me remind you, we're on the road, assisted by AAA with Jeff Sintel here today. And, of course, when I'm on the road, and I am going to be on the road this weekend, I'm thankful to have my AAA membership because I love their legendary roadside assistance. If something goes wrong, I know they're going to be there for me. And a lot of you, when you think of AAA, you think about that. But let me also convince you that when you think about AAA, you should also think about auto insurance as well. Because when you switch and save with AAA, those who do save on average $529. That's a big deal. So check out this website. It's AAA.com slash auto insurance. That's AAA, AAA.com slash auto insurance. And switch and save today when it comes to AAA. All right, so Jeff, let me ask you about this. A lot of chatter on this show the last couple of days about high-profile potential transfers. You know, Georgia's still seemingly in the mix for a guy like Darian Kendrick, for instance. Actually, let me do these one at a time. Let me start with Kendrick here for a moment. It certainly doesn't seem like that rumor mill has quieted down at all. If anything, it's probably heated up. Obviously, there's yeah. some mitigating factors here when it comes to his off-field stuff and things like that. But but it certainly seems like right now Georgia kind of involved in this Kendrick situation whenever and wherever this kind of comes to a head. It seems like Georgia's in play for this right now, does it not? Yeah, Brandon, it does because it, it's the depth chart opening. It's the chance to win a national title. It's the big exposure vehicle type school where you know there's a lot of good things that can happen. And some of those draft pundits kind of view, view Kendrick as – basically a first, second, third round type cornerback where in the in the eyes of maybe Georgia fans and Dog Nation, well, that might be an even swap for maybe a guy like Stokes uh, or a guy like Campbell, either or. So that's that's potentially good news. But, you know, kind of speaking about, you know, getting out of your skis a little bit or I, I just I don't understand the way that the way this news works sometimes, the way the news cycles work sometimes. For me, the big story is what's the status of the charges? Everybody can say, oh, it sounds like they're going to be dropped. It feels like they're going to be dropped. But I think the charges still need to be dropped, and he needs to be in a better position um, with that potential legal pitfall he was in before everybody starts putting him on rosters and thinking about who he's going to guard in that opening game against against a very familiar foe in Clemson. Um, Kendrick's there. I think that smoke is real, but I think – I'd like to see I'd like to see that first thing happen before everybody starts putting them on the Georgia roster. And I can certainly understand that. And uh, you know, I guess there are rumblings out there that that is what's going to happen. I mean, it, you know, listen, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time, even for guys who are not athletes. That you know, when you have that kind of you know brush with the law or whatever else. I mean, you know, a lot of jurisdictions aren't looking to necessarily drop the hammer on you just for, you know, kind of one thing here. So, you know, to me, I'm not a lawyer, although you know, we certainly have plenty of lawyers that we're connected with here on, on this show that, you know, kind of working through some of this kind of stuff. Sometimes I would suggest it's maybe not quite as hard as the average person thinks because, you know, listen, a lot of these jurisdictions are trying to, to find some sort of pathway to, to kind of help people if they, you know, have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a brush with the law. You know, you don't want to condemn somebody who's, you know, young and, you know, maybe did something he wishes was a little bit different. Yeah, and Brandon, I, I want to say this kind of really clearly on this whole subject. We've had a, I had a discussion this, about this with my with my forum folk on uh, in, on the Intel's hurry up Intel thread on our Dog Nation forum, but for me, and I guess this is going to make me sound like a little, a little kind of like get with the times, bro. Maybe like people need to tell me this, but I think it bothers me a little bit, Brandon. That should Georgia potentially uh, win that natty, as Kendall Milton is likes to say, and they bring the whole thing home, I, 
I don't – and I realize it's college football now, but for me, if you look at Georgia potentially and they have a big-name offensive transfer, they have – as it stands right now, at least they transfer in the secondary from West Virginia, a transfer from Alabama, and potentially now another transfer from Clemson. This, to me, feels a little bit like the Old West, while college football in the portal now is the Wild West. And I'm sure I've heard from a lot of people that said, you know, Jeff, I don't care if uh, they come from Uganda. I don't care if they come from Wakanda. I don't care if they come from Antarctica. I don't care where they come from. As long as they put the G on the helmet and they win those games, then that's going to be worth celebrating for, uh, I would imagine, a large portion of the fan base. And I get that, Brandon. But to me, on this whole topic, the way, it, the, way the roster was built last year, it's still always going to be the preference. It's going to feel a little bit more pure about building and developing towards a national championship. Now, I know probably in the minority here, but that's just how I feel. To me, it would be a little bit different to me if Georgia wins at all with so many uh, one-year rental-type players on their way to the NFL. So I guess the only thing I'd say back in response to that is, I mean, when you look at the aggressive way in which Alabama is collecting recruits through the recruiting process, I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying that they are compiling talent as strongly as they ever have under the Nick Saban era, you know, the idea that you wouldn't use every arrow in your quiver to also do the same thing. You know, I I think that to mix metaphors here, I think you're tying one hand behind your back if that's what you do. I mean, listen, I love the idea of a guy signing with Georgia out of high school and watching him grow and develop over the course of three or four years and the kind of increased fanhood that you have for that player as he's doing that I'm all in favor of that and and frankly I'm a little skeptical about how rampant the talk of the transfer portal has become in college football but if it's going to exist and the teams that Georgia's playing against are doing everything they can to make their teams as talented as possible then I guess as a fan of Georgia I want to see them use that there as well and I think it's you know fair to point out here that Let's say that Kendrick does come to Georgia. We'll get to the Rick Gilbert thing in a moment. Uh, but let's say that Kendrick does come to Georgia. You know, we're still talking about a small portion of this roster being the one-year rental players, the overwhelming majority of the team, even if you want to include JT Daniels as one of those transfer portal guys, even though he's now been here for a little while. I mean, the overwhelming majority of this team are still guys who kind of came up through the program, recruited out of high school by UGA. I mean, certainly this is not the kind of like, you know, rent-a-player type thing you see going on in college basketball. I mean, the overwhelming ratio for Georgia would still be guys that were brought in through the more traditional means. I agree, and uh, I guess my feeling on this, Brandon, is if everybody's doing it, I mean, listen to all the players you can roll off that have made impactful legacies on their program that came through the transfer portal. You got you got Cam Newton, you got Joe Burrow, you got Kyler Mayfield, you got, you got Kyler Murray, excuse me, you got Baker Mayfield. I think the list goes on and on. Alabama last year with Landon Dickerson. It's part of college football. I mean, if this was a NASCAR show, Brandon, it would be about an adjustment made to engines where if you're going to do something with your restrictor plate uh, that everybody else is doing, that's what you have to do to keep up with in order to win championships and be at the peak of the field. I get it. I understand it. This is what college football is now, and it's not going to change. But that doesn't mean I have to love it. I don't know if I really love it the way it's evolving right now. Uh, well, yeah, if you want to get into you know skepticism about the portal, I'm right there with you on that. One more name on all this, though, and this came up on yesterday's show. I had completely given up on the idea of a Rick Gilbert. And, Jeff, you know how big of a fan I am of Gilbert as a player. I just think he's a spectacular prospect. I had completely given up on the idea of Gilbert landing at Georgia because there just wasn't a lot of substance, you know, 
connecting him to Georgia, even you know after he left Florida, or you know you know you know it just seemed like it was more wishful thinking than anything. But lo and behold, now that's back on, on the conversation again. And I, I might be sent in a position to say how real it is or it isn't, but it's unmistakably a part of the online chatter here at the moment. What do you make of the fact that the uh, Gilbert rumor mill may not be quite played out and not completely dead yet? Yeah, there's a lot of, I guess I would call it misinformation there about Gilbert. And I guess speculation would lead to a lot of that. But I, I, here's what I know. I know people very close to Eric, and they, they say he's in a great place. They say he's back. It said that's the Gilbert they remember from uh, his days when he was a dominant Gatorade player of the year nationally, or at least in the state of Georgia, uh, when he when he was coming out of Marietta High School, and those are all very really really good things. And now, when when Eric's kind of back and he's he's moving forward with a lot of things in his life, now it's like, is it eligibility? Is it you know can he play right away? Is you know getting to a new school? Is it is it going back to LSU because that seems the easier path, or is it a new break? Uh, yeah, the thing that comes to my mind with Eric is uh, if you see him recently, Brandon, if you see him work out. You see what he looks like physically. He's the type of guy to me that's only one season away from the NFL. He looks like he could be an NFL player right now. And, I mean, eventually I think he might be the type of player that's only like, you know, a fall away from uh, becoming a very rich man one day. Yeah, Terrence Edwards was with us yesterday. He talked about that. Just the, And obviously he's worked out with him. The, the physical characteristics that he's bringing to the table right now, very impressed with that. If you don't mind me asking, you mentioned the idea of some misinformation. What is the misinformation that's out there with, uh, with Gilbert at the moment? I guess it was like, you know, he was making the move back home to set up his next move. Well, that really wasn't the case at all. Or uh, he was coming... He, he had he, he had things in his life he had to figure out, and you know location was going to lead one school versus another. Uh, I remember I think Terrence 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 and I were both there that day when we were watching him work out, and Terrence had an opinion, very strong opinion that if if Gilbert was in this current NFL draft class, the only NFL tight end that could probably, from a scouting perspective, be rated ahead of him, he thought that would be Kyle Pitts, and that's how impressed uh, Terrence was with where he was at physically and what he looked like. I think, you know, a lot of people thought, and I guess the misinformation trail started with, oh, he's leaving LSU, and everybody thought, oh, he's going back home, and that's, that's, a, quick move to, that's a quick move to Georgia. He eventually ends up at Florida. I think at least some of the speculation about him trending back to Florida has certainly died down a little bit. I, 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 just, I just never thought, like a lot of people, that instantly went, oh, he's coming to Georgia with every little piece of information they hear. That's never that's never really felt grounded to me at all. Yeah, what I've speculated on, and we'll wrap up the conversation after this, and this is just speculation, it certainly seems likely that Georgia is trying to recruit Gilbert, but much like it was coming out of high school, I'm just still not quite so sure how interested Gilbert is in Georgia. If I were to read the tea leaves and all the rumors and reports that are out there, that's kind of my takeaway. For good reason, it seems like Georgia's recruiting him. Just not quite so sure, even if Gilbert's in a position to accept an offer from Georgia. I'm just not quite so sure yet that's indeed what he's going to do. Does that seem like a fair read of the situation? Yeah, and for me, I think it's complicated with Georgia because uh, unless, here's the magic piece, unless Georgia just looks at his skill set and goes, you know what, the 40 time, the way he operates in and out of his breaks, his ability to go get a ball, the physicality, the fact that you're going to have to double him in a lot of, a lot of tight spaces, 
that's a that's a that's a lot of similarities there to George Pickens. Now, of course, probably can't high point or be as explosive with that catch radius that that Pickens has. But man, he's a much more skilled and polished receiver than George Pickens has shown so far in in the, in the college ranks. For me, that seems a lot more better of a, a seamless fit if it was Georgia than just the tight end because I, I don't I don't think you know we used to say Brandon so many times with Gilbert. Uh, what, what can Georgia show him that will progress him and develop him for the NFL to tight end position? Right now, I don't know if that's the position. I think besides all that, I think it would complicate a lot of potential exclamation points for Georgia's offense in 2022. Excuse me, 2021. Because, Ben, I know how you think. and I know you're like, man, come on down. We'll get another one. We'll just load the barn with as many great players as you can. But there's some special things that I think can happen at the tight end position from a guy like Darnell Washington, a guy like Brock Bowers. Let's not forget John Fitzpatrick. So if you drop Gilbert into that mix is, you know, even a flex in, a guy that goes back and forth, I think it complicates a lot of things with guys in their future arcs at Georgia, much not less to mention the fact that a guy like uh, Oscar Delp is looking at that tight end position for Georgia really hard and is wanting to see the the type of things that a guy like Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington can do with catches and usage and everything else like that. Um, that's kind of the way I look at things with Eric and a potential fit at Georgia. I don't know if it's at tight end anymore. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I view him more as a comp for uh, George Pickens than anything else that probably Georgia has at the tight end spot. We've tried to make that you know around here pretty clear. It's very interesting stuff, Jeff, and I know you've got a lot more on this recruiting world over the course of the days to come. Obviously, June going to be a red-hot month for UGA recruiting. We'll get a chance to read about that at dognation.com this weekend, and then we'll be in that month watching all these visits play out as Georgia tries to maintain its momentum for its classes of 2022 and 2023. Uh, very fascinating times around the uh, program as uh, the current state of UGA recruiting is red-hot, arrow definitely pointing up. And that's before you even mention some of these transfer portal names. Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for being on the road, assisted by AAA with us here today. And we will look forward to speaking to you next week. Hope you enjoy your holiday weekend. Yeah, guys, I got, I got two stories planned. One, uh, you'll learn a lot about my next story that I'm going to write about, Branson Robinson, which kind of sets a narrative on a lot of things. Could he commit early? What, was, what does his family think about, think about all of that? Uh, also going to have a pretty good piece coming up on Richard Young, that probably the biggest early June 1st visitor that George is going to get. Richard Young is the nation's number one tailback for the 2023 cycle. So we're going to start really diving into a lot of those guys that visit each day come June 1st. So I'm glad you guys will be around, and we look forward to bringing it to you. Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you again next week. Yes, sir. Have a happy Memorial Day, B.A. You too. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really good stuff from uh, Jeff Sintel there, kind of wrapping up the week for us before a holiday weekend. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I always think about language around this Memorial Day time of year, and I'm not super legalistic. Like, I'm not one of these people that, like, you know, is the word police and, you know, looking to kind of jump on, you know, misusage of any kind of word, any kind of context. But Memorial Day is one of those things where – you know, in our society, I would say it means two completely different things, right? On the one hand, it is a happy, joyous holiday weekend. My family's looking to travel here a little bit this weekend. You know, kids just out of school. We're looking to kind of celebrate and enjoy all of that. And obviously, Memorial Day means that for, you know, for so many of us. But kind of concurrent to that, parallel to all of that, it is also, I think, one of the most poignant, meaningful days in our calendar because it's not just a day to celebrate those who've you know served our country. It's to actually celebrate those and honor those, maybe the better way to say that, 
who have given their life in service to our country, which is completely, completely different and, you know, an entirely different level of significance on all of that. So I'm sure many of you are kind of much like me on this. You try to do both, right? You try to keep the, the happy Memorial Day vibe of, hey, it's, you know, it's uh, outdoor cookouts and it's swimming pools and it's baseball and it's all the things that kind of go along with that. Yet at the same time, it is also, you know, one of the most heavy, meaningful days on our calendar because obviously the freedoms we all get to enjoy, that came with a price. And for some people, the price was their life. And, you know, I've got people in my kind of bloodline, my you know family tree that, you know, lost their life in service. Many of you, you know, much the same way. And for you, it's actually even closer relatives than, than, than maybe me on that. That's a, that's a very, very serious thing. So in observance of one of the most poignant days in our calendar, but also in celebration of one of the happiest weekends of the year, we'll try to do both here. Uh, as a part of that on Dog Nation Daily. I'm glad you give us a chance to do that. By the way, speaking of everything going on with uh, Dog Nation Daily, we'll get to our SEC through here in a moment. Let me give a shout-out to Second Chance Law before we get there. Secondchance.law, that's the website. And obviously, I've been telling you about them now for a while. I think you're becoming a little bit acquainted with what they do. Fortunately, I'm not you know, super smart, so the fact that their name pretty much tells you the whole thing is, is very helpful for me. Secondchance.law. For those people who want a second chance in my life, I've been grateful for some second chances that I've gotten. I like extending those to other people. That's what secondchance.law gives you a chance to do. So if you've got a criminal conviction, something that's kind of hanging over your head a little bit, that's hurting your chances of getting the job you want, or in maybe some cases hurting your chance of getting to live where you want to live, my friends at secondchance.law can help you with that because there are actually some new laws in place in Georgia that make it a little easier to get some sort of criminal convictions kind of restricted off your record, but it's confusing. Secondchance.law has an online quiz. Answer the questions, and you can determine your eligibility. And if you're not eligible, they can help you get eligible. One of the partners, a big-time UGA, you know, two-time graduate, former Red Coat, long-time listener of Dog Nation Daily. So it's fun to be able to recommend them. Secondchance.law. Make sure you check them out here today. All right, a couple of things. And I, I kind of like stories like this. CBSSports.com has this. Is it Tom Fornelli who wrote this? I think it's Tom Fornelli. Who wrote this? Basically, a week by week, yeah, Tom Fornelli, a week by week look at the games that matter most for the college football playoff for the upcoming schedule. And obviously, Georgia Clemson's on there for week one. By the way, we also find out some more TV times for Georgia here this week, too, with the 3 30 start for uh, UAB week two. And then uh, South Carolina gets to be a night game. But that Clemson game to begin the season, a uh, big game for college football playoff meaning. Fornelli writes about that. He also says the way that some people do that. You know, the stakes may not be quite as high as they seem. I've told you before that I still think the winner of this game matters. I think the loser of this game is put into a tougher position for making the college football playoff because we've seen that second-best SEC team excluded from the playoff before. It's been Georgia before, in fact, if you were to go back to 2018. So getting that trophy theoretically against Clemson, I, I still think really matters. The winner of this game, I think, puts themselves in a good playoff position there week one. But, you know, Fernelli mentions that as one of those you know, games that will determine the fate of the college football playoff. He also mentions Georgia-Florida as well. But I want to highlight something else just for a moment because until I read this article, I hadn't fully considered this. A very interesting back-to-back game scenario for Alabama, Week 5 and Week 6, coming there in the month of October. It's Week 5, hosting Ole Miss for Alabama. That was a game last year in Knoxville that was very close. Many of you are pretty high on Lane Kiffin. We've heard 
we had you know uh, Stephen Lass from Athlon Sports touting Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, the other day. There are a lot of folks who kind of look at Ole Miss as being a little bit of an interesting kind of sneaky surprise type team in the SEC. Well, Alabama hosts them. It's a little bit of a revenge game for Alabama because the defense played terribly there a year ago in, in, in Oxford. But how about the following week? After hosting Ole Miss, which could be a little bit of an emotional game, could be one of those games that Alabama has to score a bunch to win. Now Alabama the following week has to go to Texas A&M. Now, Vegas and the other online sports books are telling us right now that Alabama is still a double-digit favorite on the road there at Texas A&M, but this is also one of the bigger games in the SEC. Connor Riley was mentioning this the other day that you know that's kind of set up to be that primetime SEC game on CBS. Interesting to think about the emotional span of eight days there. Hosting Ole Miss, you may have to score a bunch to win that game. Now going on the road for an A&M team that definitely has you circled. That's a very interesting stretch for Alabama. And Alabama, as it tries to repeat as a national champion, we may learn a lot about the Crimson Tide there over that eight-day stretch, consecutive Saturdays against both Ole Miss and Texas A&M. Another example of just how deep the SEC West is, the fact that a lot of these teams in that division have those very tough week-after-week stretches on all of that. By the way, speaking of schedules, we also got this week uh, an update on the bowl schedule there as well, including the college football playoff, which will be back on New Year's Eve again, which you know, for most people, that's not a good thing. The ratings will obviously be hurt by this. We've seen that before. I'm sort of at a stage of my life where New Year's Eve, uh, kind of amateur night. It's not a big deal for me necessarily the way that it would have been maybe when I was much younger. But if you're kind of thinking about this and planning for Georgia on this, uh, think about these two bowls as your playoff bowls for this year. Orange Bowl, that's one of the semifinal games there on December 31st. That's the earlier game. And then you got the actually we haven't determined yet which what what time those will be. But then the Cotton Bowl in Dallas is the other national semifinal game. So Georgia hasn't been in the Cotton Bowl since after the '83 season, I don't think. Uh, when was the last time Georgia was in the Orange Bowl? Is that the '40s, like 1940 something or something like that? So those are the two playoff games this year: Orange and Cotton Bowl on that. And by the way, if you want to really look ahead, national championship game will be in Indianapolis this year. I think about there's a great steakhouse in Indianapolis, St. Elmo's. I mean, how much do you want to be eating that St. Elmo's the night before that national championship game on a on a Sunday night or a Saturday night, something along those lines? Connor Riley shaking his head no. Let me tell you something. Uh, that will be a, a a nice meal to enjoy. Hopefully Georgia right there in Indianapolis getting ready for all that. Indianapolis, a little bit of a – frankly, Indianapolis in January, a little bit of a weird spot for a, a college football uh, playoff national championship game. But if that's where the game is going to be played, that's, what you, that's where you want uh, Georgia to be. One more story to get through here, and I promise I'm not going to do very much on this because it sort of feels like if you talk too much about this, you kind of get into like the political stuff a little bit more than we want to around here. But there's a big push in Congress, and it's come out in the last day or so, it's kind of in the Senate and the House related to kind of turning college athletes into employees, which obviously give them the chance to to unionize. And listen, this is a complicated issue. I won't pretend to, you know, even though I've got opinions on it, I won't pretend to be an expert on this necessarily. However, there's one particular aspect of this I want to highlight, and this is the thing at a certain point in time we're going to have to talk more about. It's not very fun to talk about today because it's the Friday before a holiday weekend. Nobody wants to get into something too heavy. But one of the Congress people who's leading the push for this stuff changed the way in which we kind of you know, characterize college athletes. One of the Congress people on the House of Representatives side says, it's time to finally end amateurism as we know it. One sentence, I think that sentence fairly well capsulizes the feeling of a lot of people. 
But they look at the college system and they say, oh, this amateurism is more like shamateurism. You've heard that said before. And we need to end this system as we know it. Treat the players like employees and, uh, you know, let them unionize, let them all that kind of stuff. That's what we need to kind of push for. And listen, different people can feel different ways on this. I have respect for people who feel differently than me. But I do want to f- make it very, very clear here that if the goal and the push by elected representatives is to end amateurism as we know it, I want to make it very clear that I'm absolutely on the opposite side of that. I still believe in the idea of college sports as amateurism, the system that's been in place in college football for 150 years and the, you know, the other college sports there as well. I still believe this system works far more often than it doesn't. Works for the players who play it, for the coaches who make their living coaching in it, for the fans who are entertained by it. I still believe the system works. And I think when you travel around and you you know you meet high school football players who are just dying for a chance to play or you know baseball players who want their chance, softball players whatever else. I mean I think by and large the public at large also think it kind of works as well. So at a certain point in time, they're going to have to be battle lines drawn on this. And if the college football people or the NCAA people, if they want to continue to exist in 20 to 25 years, they're going to have to fight for their right to exist against people who are making it very clear they want the system to disappear. They want the, the current system to go away. They want that, they want that gone. May have to uh, fight against that sometime in the future, at least worth pointing out today. Let me also quickly say before we wrap up here, busy weekend for Georgia Athletics. You've got uh, golf in the NCAA starting today. That's always a really fun thing. Big regional series for the softball team against Florida. Obviously, as Gator haters, we're rooting hard for the dogs there. And coming up here really soon, the baseball team will also find out its fate when it comes to the NCAA tournament after being eliminated from the SECs by Ole Miss yesterday. So a lot going on for UGA Athletics here this weekend. Best of luck as those teams move through their own various NCAA tournaments. And as I mentioned to you off the top, the program will be gone on Monday in observance of the holiday, but looking forward to be back with you on Tuesday after that. So what do you say as we wrap up here today, we do so in style. How about a Gator Hater roll call and a Golden Shoe Award winner? Uh, one of our great commenters and a guy who was with us last Friday for our Dog Nation Days of Summer event there at the Battery Atlanta in Truist Park. Let me show you Mark Morris here uh, on Twitter, who's living right there in the uh, heart of Gator country in the state of Florida, he says. And he says, this is the sharpest mode of transportation around. For those of you watching on video, you can see this. It is a beautiful Georgia-themed golf cart. Boy, you love that. Yesterday, we mentioned the unathletic gator that was <laughs> mocked by a Bank Six in our Golden Shoe segment. He says, that unathletic gator we saw earlier this week, that G would run him right off the road. So good stuff there by Mark Morris. You are our Golden Shoe winner. As we wrap up today, how about Gator Hater Countdown? 155 days. We will see you Tuesday. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Have a great weekend, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cool Down. And before I read a couple of comments, I do need to issue an apology specifically to our podcast audience. You ever like do something just like really, really dumb? Yesterday I did. Um, so I post the podcast every day, right? There's a process you have to go through. And then there's like the last button you have to click. And so, you know, you're all kind of run around doing a bunch of stuff and like when I got home yesterday afternoon I was going to get ready to put the show on the worldfamousdognation.com and I opened up my laptop and the podcast was just kind of still sitting there with that last button that needed to be clicked so unfortunately we actually delivered the show yesterday several hours late and I really hate that that was just 
just a dumb mistake on my part. I wish I had, I wish I had a better, uh, you know, explanation or answer. Like it just, I just unforced error. And every now and then you have one of those. So we did have one of those yesterday in terms of the delivery of the podcast. I apologize for that. We'll make sure we get this one up at the customary time. And of course, we always appreciate your interaction. Let me encourage you to send your great comments to us here, by the way, as well for our podcast cool down. You reach out to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Uh, I'll read it right here during our segment or at our comment section there at dognation.com when I post the show each and every day. You can always kind of title it Georgia Football Podcast and, you know, kind of have the day show. Most of you that listen to the podcast can listen via some other means. But if you hear the show, you got something you want to say, then travel over to dognation.com. Just click in the post when it appears. And down there at the bottom of the comment section, you can kind of get involved and, and do that. I want to read a couple of here for a moment regarding a couple of issues that came up on the show this week first of all kind of going back to the beginning of the week somebody weighed in on uh, dog nation uh, uh twitter in talking about you know kind of georgia taking that next step and going back to what dj shockley had said we played for you on monday show about you know georgia using this off season that time to develop themselves and and you know, be as good as they can be to fulfill all the potential that exists for this team in the 2021 season. And the commenter on Twitter kind of put, I think it was a OP Mike, I think it was, kind of put that pressure a little bit on Kirby Smart to say, well, this is Smart's time to develop these guys. This is Smart's time to, he brought all these players in. He's had the recruiting success. This is his time to to now take that next step with these guys. And I don't think that's necessarily an unfair thing to, to say. I mean, I think you can think more than one thing is true at once, right? I mean, on the one hand, I do think that Smart's first five years as Georgia coach have been tremendously successful. And frankly, at times, I think sometimes the media fails to acknowledge the full measure of what Smart's success has been. I think he has, in other words, been better than sometimes he's been given credit for. However, simultaneous to that, you can't just keep cruising right along with the same level of success forever without people saying, when's it going to be more than this? And I don't think Smart's necessarily behind schedule. Smart has always kind of pushed back against the notion there even is a schedule for achievement. But it's certainly fair to say that given the the December and February success that Georgia's had with recruiting, turning that into on-field success that's measured in January by trips to the college football playoff, that's absolutely an appropriate expectation. I don't think if Smart were sitting here right now, I don't think he would shy away from that either. I, I really don't. I, I think the thing he would also say, though, is, the best way to give yourself a chance to be in the playoff and be in the playoff frequently is to consistently be a playoff contender that has the kind of roster that goes head-to-head with the nation's best and gets a chance to play in those big games. And you keep showing up year after year after year. Eventually, the ratios might be you know somewhat more in your favor. And I think that's true. But you know, for commenters who want to say, all right, now it's time for Kirby to show me a little more. We did that on the show last week. Remember the CBS folks in discussing you know where Smart was ranked, seventh on their list of top coaches. You, uh, on the one hand, I may say seventh a little too low compared to who was rated ahead of him. But on the other hand, the notion of, okay, it's time to show a little more. I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. And that's also not the same thing as saying, and if you don't win the national championship this year, you're never going to do it. You're on the hot seat. Uh, you know, that, that that's kind of veering too far in the other direction at that point in time. It's just simply time to see some improvement. It's just simply time to see a Georgia team that was so close winning a national championship and has slightly regressed in terms of its end of season you know, success since then to start trending back the other direction. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's inappropriate at all. Also, the, uh, you know, the comment comes up of, 
JT Daniels. We talked about Daniels in yesterday's show. Somebody commented on the uh, Daniels, you know, thing in comparison to the other quarterbacks that have been in place at Georgia. And there's no doubt, I would say, that that you know, for some Georgia fans, you know, they want to see Daniels demonstrate himself to be kind of a you know head and shoulders removed from what the previous Georgia quarterback play has been. A lot of that's been Jake Fromm for three years in 2017, 2018, 2019, and then, you know, what what Georgia was at quarterback before before Daniels took over at the end of last season. And I, I do think that that's kind of hanging over the head of JT a little bit. Is he going to get a chance to play in an offense that gives him a chance to make the Bulldogs as prolific as they probably need to be? And that's not necessarily a knock on Fromm to say that he didn't quite get there. In, in some cases – Certainly in 2019, with James Coley's offensive coordinator, I've made no, you know, attempt to shy away from my belief that that James Coley was just a deficient offensive coordinator. I think Coley was a valuable assistant at Georgia for a while, but he was not a good offensive coordinator. And I think that hurt Jake Fromm. How good would Fromm have been if he had a chance to play with with Todd Munkin? We'll never know. But in comparison, in comparing Munkin to Fromm and what sort of Georgia's had previous to to. I should say in comparing JT Daniels to Fromm and what Georgia's kind of had a quarterback prior to Daniels taking over, I do think it's appropriate to kind of look at the tandems here. It's not just JT Daniels, it's Daniels working with Todd Monken. And it's not just Jake Fromm, it's it's Fromm working with, you know, Jim Cheney and, and frankly in like say 2017, 2018, Cheney seemed to have a, a pretty good idea of what was going to work in the SEC. Georgia, you know, near the top of the SEC in scoring, if not the top in the SEC in scoring in both those years. You know, 2019, Cheney's moved on to Tennessee. James Coley's replacement, not quite as successful. So I would say one of the reasons that I do like JT Daniels to have a better season than Jake Fromm probably ever had at Georgia is not because I think that Daniels is so much better of a quarterback than Jake Fromm. I just think the circumstances that Daniels plays in are probably superior here. Better talent around. There's certainly more measurable talent at the receiver position than Jake Fromm was ever throwing to. And I have a hunch, sneaking suspicion, you may want to call it an educated guess, that Todd Munkin's just also a better offensive coordinator as well. So so I think that's a you know kind of a fair comparison on all of that too. So good conversations here today. We appreciate you being a part of it. As I mentioned to the regular show, we are off on Monday in observance of the Memorial Day holiday, but looking forward to being back on Tuesday. So whatever you're doing this weekend, hope you enjoy that. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews making the podcast cool down possible. Find them online at rsandrews.com. They will get your air conditioning tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Also, uh, thank you for being here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We will see you back here again on Tuesday. Talk to you then, everybody.